The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion by the Reverend Chuck Tedrick, Dean of Students at Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this chapel message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474, wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. Well, good morning, friends. Thank you for your patience. We had a minor technical uh, difficulty this morning, but are glad to be able to uh, be here with you. It is my pleasure to be able to open up the Word of God, continuing our series on prayer, but also wanted to tie it in with Thanksgiving. It's really a prayer of thanks. And we at Westminster, as we head into the Thanksgiving season, are thankful for you. We're thankful for our students. We're thankful for our faculty and administration and our friends, our donors, our board members. Um, We are just glad to be a part of this community, and we thank you for your uh, partnership with us and your service and care and prayers for us as we serve and care and pray for you as well. And so I thought that uh, it'd be fun to look at a particular portrait of Thanksgiving this morning. Sometimes it's easy to try to have think about Thanksgiving sermons or devotionals and think of them as they can kind of end up sounding like, well, count your blessings kind of things. And uh, certainly we do want to count our blessings and we have much to be thankful for, but sometimes that falls on us very heavy. And this morning I would like to actually look at a portrait of Thanksgiving. What does thankfulness look like? What does it sound like in a story from the book of Luke? Phil Riken, in his introduction to this passage that we're going to look at in his commentary, told a funny story about um, a Midwestern town that had a tornado come through and there was a family there that had had everything taken up in this tornado and the mom and dad were just standing outside forlorn. Even their, their son had been taken up in their tornado. And the mom and dad were praying to the Lord and they said, please, please, Lord, return our boy to us. And then the boy descends from heaven and he stands in front of them. And the father puts his hands on his hips and he said, well, he had a hat. And I think sometimes we can forget or look at all the blessings uh, that are in front of us and be disgruntled about something that we don't have. It's meant to be funny. Um, We sing most, uh, most every week the doxology, praise God, from whom all blessings flow. It's helpful for us to remember that everything that we have comes to us from the Father in the Son through the Holy Spirit, whether those things are in the physical realm or the spiritual realm, all that we have that our Father has provided to us in the Son and through the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, I'd like to look at a delightful story in the book of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, I'd like to look at three things this morning. First, the leper's prayer. And lepers, plural here, there are 10 lepers. And then the Lord's response. And then the lepers, thanksgiving, one leper uh, returns to thank the Lord. So the lepers, plural, prayer. The Lord's response and the lepers, singular, thanksgiving. And so let's hear the word of God as it comes to us in Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11, we read this. It says, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And they went, and they were, and as they went, they were cleansed. 
Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The first thing we want to look at is the leper's prayer, plural. The leper's Ten of them are, are making this petition or plea, or plea, and it sets the stage for us saying that they were standing off at a distance. Why were they standing off at a distance? It's because they were ceremonially uh, unclean. According to the law of Moses in Numbers 5, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or has a discharge and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. And so they had to be kept outside and at a distance. Leviticus goes on to say, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry, Unclean, unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. What a horrifying picture in one way of banishment or aloneness or alienation or separation. Imagine having no hugs or no human touch, no family, no part in the corporate worship of God's people, just being outside the uncleanness with which you had to announce yourselves even as keeping you estranged from other people. Leprosy is a very good image of the ravages of sin, one theologian said. It destroys the body, it divides relationships, it hinders fellowship, and it deforms worship. Sinclair Ferguson talking about Sinclair Ferguson talking about this community said it's like a living death. Their bodies are actually decaying, visible and open wounds, painful, falling apart in a very real sense. Divided relationships kept apart from one another, hindering fellowship, and it deforms their worship. They're not able to go to the temple and to participate in the corporate life and the covenantal life of God's people in the same way. It's a very difficult existence. It's showing us in some ways the images and the ravages of sin. I'm not saying that these lepers had this particular disease because of a particular sin, but the reality of living in a sin-cursed world. And so the lepers pray. They had obviously heard about Jesus. They'd heard enough to realize that he was someone who could do something for them, someone who could help them, someone who might be kind to them. And so they call out for mercy. They lifted up their voices and say, Master, have mercy on us. The word there really connotes the idea of pity or compassion or empathy or help us in our need. Note that they call out to him as Jesus, his personal name, a familial name, the name that means Savior. And they call him Master, recognizing one that has authority and one who is sovereign, the one who can do something about their situation. And mercy, recognizing that any claim that we make on the Lord is not based on something that he owes us. It's not a quid pro quo, but his goodness and his kindness that they are calling upon. It's a wonderful prayer as far as it goes. Dr. Michael Horton has rightly 
said that prayer is really a declaration of dependence, isn't it? They're recognizing that they have need. We recognize that we have need. All that we need comes from the Lord. Even in the Lord's prayer that he gave us to to pray, we recognize that our daily bread comes from the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit. Our forgiveness of sins, our deliverance from temptation, the kingdom comes from the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit. Everything that we have, we recognize our dependency upon the Lord. And really here is a prayer of dependency, recognizing and calling out to Jesus, the Master, that he would have mercy upon them, recognizing their need and his merciful provision. And notice the Lord's response, the second thing. Jesus, when he saw them, said, go and show yourself to the priests. Presumably, they had been declared unclean by a priest, as was written in the law of Moses. Thus, according to the law, they needed to be declared clean by a priest in order to return to the life of the community. The priest also, in some sense, acted as a health inspector, if you will, to certify that someone who is unclean is now clean. If you want to read more about this, you can read about it in Leviticus chapter 14. Leviticus chapter 14, and here it's, again, an image that the law showed them their need, and the law also showed them a provision for them. And it's quite a ritual that we read about in Leviticus 14. They have to go to the priest outside of the camp, Two birds are provided. They're sprinkled seven times. Uh, One of the birds is sacrificed. The other one is set free. The person is to wash their clothes and to bathe themselves. It's a seven-day ritual. And then on the eighth day, two male lambs without blemish are brought forward. And then a grain offering. And the priest offers one lamb as a guilt offering. In the place of a sin offering and a burnt offering of the sanctuary, because now they're outside of the camp. Some of the blood of the offering is to be put on their right ear, on their hand, and on their foot as the person is cleansed. And then a sin offering is made. And then there's other provisions for if they're poor, then they need to do something else. It's quite a remarkable ritual that they needed to go through. And Jesus told them to go and show yourself to the priest. And note that one theologian noted they act as though doing what Jesus said would make a difference. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful that they heard the word of the Lord and they acted on it? They actually went on their way. And remarkably, our text says, as they went, they were cleansed. Can you even imagine? Our text doesn't tell us everything about this that we would want to know, but imagine these 10 people that had had these diseases, maybe even from, uh, from birth, but certainly for a long time. They have been walking And all of a sudden, their sores are gone, and their skin is healed. Their hands, their ears, their feet, they're experiencing them in a way that they may have never known or certainly haven't known for years. Can you even imagine what must be going on in their hearts and with one another as they look and they recognize what had been deformed is now healed, what had been broken is now mended in one way or another. It's a remarkable picture of salvation, isn't it? Note that they had asked for mercy. They had really asked for healing. That was one of the things that uh, the, the word can be used. This seemed to be their most pressing need. They called out to the Lord for, for, for healing and for mercy. And wonderfully and marvelously, Jesus, a merciful and faithful high priest, shows mercy to them. 
Their most pressing need, maybe from their perspective, was their physical ailments. And Jesus, in his mercy, healed them of their physical ailments. Ten of them called out to Jesus for mercy, and ten received the mercy for which they prayed. What was the most that a high priest uh, or in the Old Covenant could do is reclassify somebody from unclean to clean, and here is the high priest of the New Covenant making somebody clean, making somebody whole. Luke is telling this for a reason, to note that there is a new sheriff in town. All of the rituals in the Old Covenant that were pointing forward to another, pointing forward to one who could could come and fulfill all of these, to make someone whole, to make them complete, to forgive their sins, to make them right with God, to cleanse them holistically, body and soul, to conquer sin, to conquer Satan, conquer death, is standing there, standing there before them. And he doesn't just reclassify them, he heals them. He is the high priest of the new covenant, making people clean. This is something new. This is something different. This is remarkable. This is a reversal of the curse, and Jesus is here bringing the kingdom. And the final thing we want to look at is the leper's thanksgiving. The leper, singular, one of them. Ten of them were healed, but one of them has kind of a different story here, doesn't he? It's remarkable, and it's humbling. In verse 15, it says, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan, an outsider. This is really a lovely, a lovely portrait of gratitude. This is one who has been touched by grace and touched by mercy and touched by Jesus. It shows itself in gratitude and praise and thanksgiving. And Jesus asks three questions which are really inviting us uh, to be able to come into the text, to be able to think and to consider our responses to God's grace and mercy as well. He says, we're not ten cleansed? Of course, that's a rhetorical question. It's obvious, yes, ten were cleansed. He says to the one, where are the nine? A rhetorical question again to cause us to contemplate and to consider. Where is their gratitude? Where is their thanks? Where is their relationship? Where is their return to the king? He says, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? As Luke records it again, it's inviting us to think about these. Do we recognize that ingratitude is really a big deal? Or is it something that we can easily shrug off and think that ingratitude doesn't matter very much? Well, it's interesting in Romans chapter 1 when Paul is laying out the depths of our depravity, one of the ways that he even starts in Romans 1.21 is said, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. The Apostle Paul, in writing to uh, Timothy, talking about the last days, recognizes ingratitude as a very significant issue. He said, but understand this in the last days in which we are living, beloved. There will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful 
unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Ingratitude is a very significant issue, a very significant sin. We remember the wilderness generation of Israel. Their unbelief was manifested in a grumbling and murmuring and complaining attitude. Friends, are we ever blinded by our blessings? Like the story at the very beginning where everything's taken up in a tornado and a family pleads for their son to come back and the Lord gives them their son, but they're wondering where his hat is. (laughs) Are we ever blinded by blessings? The paradox is that sometimes the more we have, the less grateful we become. The law of diminishing returns. Do we recognize how much the Lord has actually blessed us with? It's interesting, if the others went to, were sent to priests to the temple, Jesus notes that only one was found to return to give praise to God. He's actually identifying himself with the Lord here. He's recognizing that this one returned, and he said by giving him thanks, he's really giving thanks to the Lord. Jesus equates that, that the return to give thanks to him is a return to give glory to God. It is God who is standing before him. It is Jesus. The return uh, uh, of the man to come before Jesus is a return to, to the Lord. And Jesus says to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And the word that he uses here is the same word that's used for saved. This is the different word that was used in the text for heal, the different word than what was used for cleanse. This is saved. This is something beyond but including the physical. He has salvation. Here is the high priest was declaring far more than that he is no longer ceremonial or ritually unclean, but that he is saved, he is forgiven, he is justified, he is united to the Lord himself, Jesus, who is standing before him. And his faith was manifested in the fruit of gratitude. His faith was manifested in praise. His faith had an object, Jesus, standing before him. Where was he? He was at Jesus' feet. And what was he doing? He was worshiping and praising the Lord. That's what a life and a heart touched by mercy and by grace and by the salvation of the Lord looks like. First, this this passage is really an amazing and a wonderful miracle, a healing story, isn't it? Second, it's a graphic picture of our need and how leprosy, again, deforms the body, distorts fellowship, and deforms worship. And then third, it's a promise fulfilled as the king comes and a kingdom is here where those things are restored in the king. Ten started off at a distance, And at the end, one is basking in the nearness and the presence of Jesus. Nine wanted the gifts. One also wanted the gift giver. Nine were made well and received what they wanted, but were still far off from Jesus. And one was set free from something far more deadly than leprosy. And he's in the presence of the king. Sinclair Ferguson said, surely the nine would have said if you asked them, I am so glad that I met Jesus because he cured me of my leprosy. But I wonder if you asked the one if he would say something to the effect, my leprosy is what led me to Jesus 
and he's the one who saved me from my sins. I'd like to end where our text actually started. It noted that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem. That's an important marker in Luke. Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. He's not just noting a travel log, but Jesus is on the way for a very specific purpose. And he had stated that over and over in the Gospel of Luke, that he was on his way to Jerusalem. And why, beloved? Why was Jesus on his way to Jerusalem? And Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to die the leper's death for us. He was going to be outside the camp. He was going to take all of our uncleanliness upon him. The unblemished lamb for the blemished sheep. He was going to be alone. He was going to be abandoned. He was going to be humiliated. He was going to be condemned for us. So that we who are in Christ will never be. Holistically, body and soul and in life and in death, he was going to endure the curse for us. He was going to conquer sin. He was going to conquer Satan. He was going to conquer death. All of God's promises to us find their yes and amen in Jesus. And Jesus receives any and all who come to him. And note that he also sends them on their way. Go, assured of my love, assured of my forgiveness, assured of your being right with me because of what I have done for you. Assured of my love, go confidently, go freely into the things that the Lord has called you to do. Beloved, what a wonderful story to remind us of God's power and of his grace and of his mercy and how he cares for us, both body and soul. I'd like to conclude by just reading a prayer that's in the URCNA forms of prayers that's specifically for a day of thanksgiving. So it is our sincere prayer that you have a wonderful thanksgiving. Again, we are thankful for you. We hope that you are reminded of God's goodness and grace towards us in Christ who endured the penalty for our sin and our uncleanliness outside the camp, and he makes us right with the Father. We are cleansed by his blood. We are clothed in his righteousness. We are adopted and beloved and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and there is nothing in all of creation that will ever separate us from his love. Let's pray. Our sovereign God, who created all things for your pleasure and who gives to all life and breath and every good thing. We thank you for our creation, our preservation, and all the blessings of this life. For rain and sunshine, in abundance and in lack, we acknowledge that our times are in your hands. You supply all your creatures with your good gifts, the just and the unjust alike. Nevertheless, we especially give you praise for the surpassing greatness of your saving grace, which you have shown to us in Christ Jesus, our Savior, for our election in him before the foundation of the world, for our redemption by him in his life and death and resurrection, for our effectual calling and justification and sanctification and all of the blessings of our union with him, we give you our heartfelt thanks. And we look with great anticipation toward the day when you will raise us to life everlasting, glorified and confirmed in righteousness, so that we may sing your praises without the defilement of our present weaknesses, distractions, and sins. As you have given us these gifts, we, we ask also that you would give us grateful hearts so that we may serve your neighbors, our neighbors in love. 
This we pray in the name of Jesus and in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Copyright 2020, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.